welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. What a freaking bonanza. It is basically a whole new team here in 49er land. Not really, but there's a lot of really fun pieces uh, that we've added and some pieces that we've let go that are long overdue. Uh, but first, let's talk a little bit. We're going to get into all of the rumored signings, all the free agent signings, what they mean, uh, and all manner of things. But first, can we confirm, David, you are still alive? Yeah, I think so. That's I'm here now. I mean, that's a start, I think. So if you did not keep up with us over this weekend, we did the first ever drunk prospecting which was basically David's attempt at combining drunk history and the rookie scouting portfolio. And I would like to say that it went swimmingly. Uh, if you go on Great. YouTube, you, yeah. Yeah, if you go on YouTube and you just search for drunk prospecting, uh, we did Mike Williams <laughs> because that's what the people wanted out on the Twitters. And I just want to bring to you the very end of drunk prospecting because it's pretty much uh, the, the single greatest thing David's ever done. It's so much better if you watch it, but this should be pretty solid at least uh david where um why are you wearing that neon green uh under armor shirt i don't know man about to throw up (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) oh jesus christ somebody end this somebody end this somebody end the video david Yeah, that's oh, the man. best part for me is that, David, are you okay? <laughs> oh, Meg. So the, part, oh, the reason you got to go watch this, and it's like the last like two, three minutes of the of the video is like, I don't know, my favorite part of the whole thing is uh, <laughs> the like there's a moment where you're like, whoa, and I'm just like, the, so we're doing this on Google Hangout, right? So it's doing like the camera flip back and forth thing. And so after I say that, that I'm about to throw up, it flips back to you. And then all of a sudden, like, I just kind of casually take my headphones off, set them on the desk, and then just walk away. And uh, you get a little flash of that on the camera. It's pretty good. Um, it's pretty good, yeah. We were I am super fucking trashed. Um, very drunk, yeah. I, I think we ended recording at, like, 9.20 my time central. I don't remember anything past 9.40. So yeah, it was uh, it was one of those. Apparently, I had uh, my much wife drive me like midway through that episode. So I had my wife drive me to get some P Terry's, and the cheeseburger was delicious. Uh, so definitely check out Drunk Prospecting. It was fun, and who knows? Maybe we'll do it when we draft someone here uh, in the NFL draft because I actually had a ton of fun doing it, even if I can't remember it. So <laughs> let's talk about all of the rumors and, and really the rundown. This is going to be a rundown heavy episode because there is a lot of shit that happened. So let's first talk about some of the things that happened with the existing roster. First up, the 49ers re-signed Jeremy Curley to a three-year deal reportedly worth about $10.5 million. This was basically the most productive wide receiver on the team last year. The only one it seems that the team is okay with keeping and here he comes on a three-year deal, reported uh, $10.5 million. So well, what are your initial impressions of this deal, David? I mean, I think it's it's good, right? It's a good value for him. Like, that that deal is not anything that's going to, to become a problem at any point. Like, I don't think it's uh, a huge overpay or anything like that. I mean, he was a, a quality piece. I don't think necessarily that he was somebody that was like, okay, we have to resign this guy because... Um, he brings something to the table that you're not going to be able to find elsewhere, um, elsewhere, like on the market. Like I think the skills that he has can be replaced, but that doesn't mean that you need to like necessarily go and look for him elsewhere, right? Like go ahead and bring him back. And, uh, yeah, I think he was about the only piece of that receiving core, um, that, that really made any sort of impact last year and, and really proved that he was worth keeping. And you think of where he fits, and he definitely fits in the slot. And Ellington is someone that I like just as a as a better wide receiver in the slot. But Elling, the rap on Ellington, and it proved out or it bore out last year, was that he can't stay healthy. So you let Ellington and Curley compete for that slot role. Um, you've got two players, and if one gets injured, then you have insurance either way. They they both kind of fit the same thing. Yeah, it'll be still I, I'm definitely still interested to see like what Ellington can do, right? Like you have him under contract for what? I think another. It's going to be the last year. This, I think, is yeah, his last year. I think is his fourth year. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there, it, 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 he's he's got enough talent that you know, and, and you're not going to be able to as much as it seems like they might try. Actually, uh, I, I don't think you're going to be able to turn over the entire wide receiver depth chart in one offseason. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe they they will end up doing that. Um, but I, I think that Ellington's a player that's talented enough. Uh, that, you know, he's going to at least get a look, I think, through training camp. I wouldn't, I would be a little bit surprised if they, um, you know, look to, to move away from him here coming up, like just during free agency, like here in the near future. You're close though, because of course the next news is that we released Tory Smith. And, and before we get into Tory Smith, of course, there's a bunch of free agents that we haven't signed. And uh, among those free agents are Rod Streeter, who was again, a street free agent. So no reason to keep him around. Uh, but you've basically... You've got someone that we didn't see on the field last year. Um, and, oh, man, I've already forgotten his name, the Canadian from the CFL, uh, Eric Rogers, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you've got Eric Rogers, who we haven't seen play yet. You've got Jeremy Curley, uh, and we've added a couple more. I mean, that's already four deep in a wide receiver. And then you've got Ellington. I mean, that's five. Maybe you keep six. Uh, didn't we sign a, a speedster uh, not too long ago to kind of, again, compete in the slot with some speed? Yeah, DeAndre... Um, Campbell no there's Rogers, too many DeAndres there you go I think as well um but yeah but so so you've got I mean this is a pretty significant overhaul Quentin Patton is gone this is this this is exactly what they're doing they're overhauling the wide receiver position and can you really blame them it's, it's what they need to do yeah I mean this is needed I mean we we talked about that there are probably quite a few positions that you would like to see completely overhauled like um I, I think wide receiver is definitely one I would have voted for probably tight end to have that happen. I think you could make a strong argument that uh, linebacker, both off ball linebackers and, you know, maybe outside of Navarro Bowman and uh, like edge edge players. I, I think, you know, there, there are several positions on this roster that could use a big makeover. Um, you leave the belldozer alone. You leave the belldozer alone. Take look, He's Take in, like, yes, I'm Take slightly interested in, in maybe seeing if he can do something. But if, if they cut him like right now, I would not be mad at all. Like, who cares? Hey, man, up until about two hours ago, he was the only quarterback we had on the roster. But the the other the other big news, of course, is that the 49ers have released Torrey Smith. The 49ers gain an extra four point six million dollars in cap space. They do carry four point eight million in dead money this year. But that's a little bit like saying, Oh, Bill Gates, did you lose a quarter? Yeah, I did. But who gives a fuck? I mean, they uh, have right now, I think, three players that have any sort of dead money. So it's Kaepernick has like uh, like two million something. You have the the four point eight from Tory Smith. And then Bruce Miller still has like two hundred thousand dollars or something like that yeah. um, in dead money. Like, that's it. Like, so, yeah, the, the, the cap situation, again, is obviously very good. So that that dead money like is even the cap space really like doesn't do a whole lot for them so walk me through the thinking in releasing tory smith because you think of him as a wide receiver and you think to yourself okay look we know he may not be an all-around number one and he you know he carried a cap hit i think this year of like seven or nine million which was fairly high compared to the rest of the roster not necessarily high in an absolute wide receiver sense but you think that this is a guy who has deep speed, who can take the top off of defense, and he was underutilized and misutilized the last two years here in San Francisco. He is one of the few talented pieces. Why get rid of him? Um, I mean, the the best I've got is, I, I think, you know, and this is something I've said, like I've been kind of ranting about on Twitter for the last few days, is you really can't get overly attached to the names that you know at this point. Like, are there players from last year's team that have some talent and that, you know, in the right situation could be useful pieces on either, say, the next good 49ers team whenever that happens or, you know, just another decent team, you know, elsewhere in the league? Like, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're not completely devoid of talent. I mean, they're about as close as anybody, but, you know, they, they, there are some players there. And so I think it just comes down to, with Torrey Smith, like, he maybe doesn't like for whatever reason, they don't think that he fits well with what they want to do. Like they prefer a different type of receiver, um, you know, that has a little bit of different strengths than he does. Um, and, and it's just like, I don't think it's anything about Tory Smith necessarily. I think it's just more, this is a completely new regime coming in. They want to find their guys. And, and that happens sometimes. And, and every once in a while, like when you have a brand new regime come in like that new coach, new general manager, and everything's kind of starting over, 
you have guys that are, you know, talented players. And I think Torrey Smith will go elsewhere. Like if he can get to a place, it seems like right now, Baltimore and Philly are the two uh, places being tossed around for him. Like if he can go to a place where he has a quarterback that is willing to throw the ball downfield, like it wouldn't be unreasonable to see him like have a somewhat of a bounce back season. But uh, yeah, I think they're just, you know, it's one of those moves that they're going to go a different direction. They're going to go get their guys. Yeah, and of course, the news out of Baltimore was that Torrey Smith said that his time here in San Francisco, that that it was pretty terrible, that he liked some of the coaches and the coaching staff, and he made some good locker room relationships. But overall, I mean, and, and, he said and it that's wasn't what you, fun. Yeah, yeah and, and that's exactly what you would expect, right? Who the hell likes to lose? Yeah, especially when you came from an organization that kind of won and, and, and the, the shit that just was around this team during these two years uh, is generally not good. So it's no surprise that he said it wasn't fun. Um, I get upset when I lose at Madden, you know, so it's like I can only imagine when, you know, losing becomes a part of your everyday job. So uh, it, it does suck because I do think Tory Smith is a class act. He For is sure. just a good human being. Yep. And, and so definitely another case where I wish him the best as a player, even if we know the fit doesn't make sense here in San Francisco. Now, one player that I am glad we are finally saying bye Felicia to is Marcus Martin, uh, basically a, a center or guard. Uh, that would have been better suited as a turnstile. Uh, and hey, man, he's coming off a career year. Okay, his PFF a career grade, year. His PFF grade was thirty nine point one, which is that's the out highest of that it's folks. ever been. Out of a hundred. Out of a hundred. Yeah, um, not golf. Uh, higher is in fact better. Correct. Um, this isn't out of forty. This isn't so... like tennis where you're like forty love or some bullshit. This is out of a hundred, folks. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I've he seen high as Obviously. balls stoners get better grades on history tests without studying than I've seen Marcus Martin get in a single game, just simply because he's just not good. So yeah, I think he gone. The, the thing too that uh, I saw mentioned quite a few times today, actually, I think there were like two or three different um, people that brought this up on Twitter, which was that basically they heard from people inside the organization that he just like doesn't like football. Like, he just didn't like it. He was kind of pushed into it by, a, like, a relative, I think, like his brother or something like that. Don't quote me on that one. Um, but, yeah, like, it, basically, he just didn't enjoy football. And and I think that was obvious. You know, it was pretty apparent when he turned. Because, I mean, this is somebody that, you know, be the first to admit, like, was very wrong on. Um, and it wasn't the only one. I mean, a lot of people thought that this was, like, one of the best interior lineman prospects in that draft class because he did show some things at USC like there was talent there it just never material I mean it was never close um once he got to the NFL he's an Instagram warrior posts a lot of pictures posts a lot of videos of him working out on Instagram and you know what maybe Instagram yeah dude maybe Instagram modeling is in his future uh but football maybe not (laughs) so the the Niners are not expected to tender any of their restricted free agents they've got three Dewan Harris Marcus Cromartie Chris Davis um and really that's pretty much it. Other than that, you've got, you know, an, an illustrious list of wide receivers. They're not going to resign headlined by, you know, Glenn Dorsey, Blaine Gabbert, Michael Wilhoit. Um, I guess Phil Dawson might be the one you're curious about, but no, you're not. I love I, I well, I think fans might be. I love Phil Dawson personally, just because I think, again, another good human uh, and, and I love the UT connection. But I and I know that you as well, David, are of the opinion that you can get the same quality and caliber of kicker with potentially more upside at a much cheaper deal. If you just go younger Um, and you can cycle through kickers and and you should, and then you find one that sticks and off you go. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to spend money on kicker, but yeah, I mean, looking at the the rest of the unrestricted free agents, I mean, there's nobody there. I mean, the only one I think maybe is Gerald Hodges. Um, Oh, I would have said Andrew Tiller, but I, I just don't think that's a scheme fit. Yeah, right. So I, I think Gerald Hodges in a vacuum on that list is the easy best player. Um, but I don't think that he really fits with what they're doing. They, they don't need that many, you know, going to a scheme where you have fewer linebackers on the field. Um, yeah. I, I, I just don't think that he is a great fit. So I don't expect him to be back. But um, yeah, I, I don't see any reason to bring a single one of their unrestricted free agents back now that uh, Jeremy Curley has been signed. Let's get to the meat of it then. It is free agency, damn it. And the legal tampering period started yesterday. And I mean, you heard John Lynch. He said, stay awake, folks, because lots of things are going to happen in free agency. And he was not kidding. 
We leave the day off, middle of the day. I'm in my work day. I'm like, huh, all right, this is boring. Nothing is happening. It's legal tam- Which, this legal tampering. Yesterday, by the way, so we were originally going to record last night, but we're like, we were, we were ready to go. Like, really happened? Do we want to do this? Do we want to like wait and see if anything else? And then, and then today, like, finally, everything happened. But we we weren't sure if we were going to swipe right. And then all of a sudden, bam, we get some booby picks is really what happened. So right off the top, you get Pierre Garçon and everyone is trying to find a Sadia because that's going to be the word of the day. Actually, I there's no way that the call to action today is not going to be about to throw up. But if there were a secondary call to action, it would be Sadia. Sadia is the little curl under the sea which is also fitting because you get one in Barca in Catalan, which uh, had an amazing comeback today in the Champions League if you're a football soccer fan. Uh, but you got Pierre Garçon. He, his deal is reportedly a $16 million deal in the first year. So it's very likely front-loaded. But this is, the, this is the guy, a 30-year-old wide receiver, maybe a 31-year-old wide receiver, I think, in this year, that is... Kind of awesome, but also a little worrisome because he's old. Yeah, it's, I, I think um, in a way it it sort of reminds you of Anquan Bolden, not in the necessarily the style of player, because I, I think that they are they're very like Anquan Bolden is a player that doesn't get separation. Like it's it's always no. was strange to me. Like um, you see some people mention like uh, what a good route runner he is and stuff. Like no, he barely runs he won with he won with strength he He bullied people he doesn't need separation to win right like he he basically just goes up over people pushes them like he can he he can create enough separation at the last moment like right before the catch point to to do it but he makes a lot of contested catches like you have to have a quarterback willing to throw to him when he's not open because he doesn't separate away from defenders and he catches the ball away from his frame and he's got hands like vices. So he's able to hang on kind of to, to the point which you're saying, which is that it's a contested catch. But with Pierre Garçon, so he doesn't necessarily win that way. I mean, he's got some a little strength, a little toughness to him for sure. And he, he knows how to kind of use contact at the top of the route. But he does separate. He is a very good route runner. He creates space between him and the defender. Um, but he does it, I, I think, in a way that isn't overly reliant on athleticism. And so that's where the similarity comes into is the the skills that he has are skills that age better than some of the receivers that are overly reliant. It's kind of like the Vernon Davis thing, right? Even though yeah. for some reason, Washington he got decided to pay million. him today. Um, that's because Scott whatever. McLuhan is out to lunch, man. Like Bruce Allen is like, yeah, sure. I'll give you 15 mil, whatever. Kirk Cousins is working the phones. Like, yeah, Vernon Davis. I like that guy. I like smoothies. <laughs> um, so it, it's, yeah, it's, you, they're similar in, in the, the respect that they're, what makes them succeed and like what makes them good players are skills that, that age well, right? Because they're not overly reliant on athleticism. So I, I think you could see a situation where, I mean, he was still really good uh, last year. Like, I was watching him, tweeted out a bunch of stuff today. Like, the dude can create separation. Like, he's not going well, to be a dynamic player. He's not a, a big play guy. He's not. You're not going to see him run a lot of vertical routes. But he is going to destroy things, like, in the intermediate and the short area. I would say, one, definitely take a look at, at David's Twitter feed. It's it's at Newman NFL, Newman with two N's, in order to see some of these videos. I, I would say that he his the rap on him is going to be Steady Eddie. He is going to consistently do what con- what wide receivers needed to do consistently in order to get open. He is a smooth route runner. He can get into and out of his breaks really, really well. Like th- there are there are little clips that Davis has tweeted out where the the cornerback is just literally going in the complete opposite direction of where Garcon is going to, and that's a testament to his ability to break down and change direction very, very quickly. And, and that's not something that everyone does. And even though he is going into his age 31 season this year, he, it, this was his best season of his career. If you look at just his production and if you look at some advanced stats, which we really like uh, DR, which is a football outsiders metric for kind of yards above replacement. He had a very, very good year in 2016. And, and he ranked 10th in DR. And if you look at pro football focus, which also rates him, he was 8th. Uh, overall in the NFL. He was their eighth ranked wide receiver. So this is someone who at their age 31 season is is maybe at their peak. And even if he descends over the next two or three years, 
he's still the best wide receiver that the 49ers have seen since probably Michael Crabtree. Yeah, I mean, him and him and Bolden, you know, obviously were very good players. And I think they win again in in some similar ways. Um, and yeah, I mean, you just see like he he has a great feel for how to set defenders up, um, you know, how to subtly create space, you know, whether that's with a little contact at the top of their out or whether that's with, um, you know, just some some slight body movement to get the, the defender to open up in the direction that he doesn't need to be opening up into. Um, you know, so there's little things like that that he does that, again, I think are going to age well, um, even if he's not, you know, I, again, he was very good this year. Like you mentioned, PFF had him as, as, as a top 10 level receiver when it came to his production in 2016. Um, and so even if he doesn't quite sustain that, I mean, he's there's little reason to think that he won't be a valuable player for several years. Now, when you look forward there, there was an article that was done uh, about the production of wide receivers just based on their age. And, and like, it's basically the, the question was, where is the cliff? And it was written uh, at Pro Football Focus, really focusing on fantasy points. And so if you use fantasy points as a proxy for when wide receivers drop off, you're really looking at the age kind of 33, 34, where they basically fall off a cliff. At 35 years old, the only wide receiver really to be around is like Jerry Rice. And, and, and maybe Anquan Bolden, right? Like those are the only guys that stick around and are even somewhat productive after those ages. So you think of a Pierre Garçon and you think of, of maybe a 30, 31, 32, 33. That's about going to be the upward limit. I, I think you would expect either him to maintain this level of production, which again is you know a top 10 wide receiver. And basically, if you can get anything above top 15 wide receiver from Pierre for two, three years is a pretty good signing, all things considered, especially if you front load the contract in years where you don't have to worry about paying people because you don't have anyone worth paying on the roster. Yeah, and I think that's something to, that's probably uh, probably a good point to, to bring up now is um, looking at just kind of free agency in general, because I, I know a lot of people kind of like got wide eyed a little bit when you see that $16 million figure in the first year, potentially. Um, and, and I think the, the thing, the way to look at free agency right now for the 49ers is as long as, and and this is likely going to be the case with Garcon, right? It'd be very surprising if they had any significant money tied up in him beyond two or three years, right? That is, is almost certainly the type of deal that you're going to be looking at. And as long as they stick with those type of deals in free agency this year and, and, you know, even into next year, if they wanted to, um, those deals really aren't going to matter. Because the reason, you know, that you typically don't want to go crazy and, and spend a bunch of money on free agency is one is because it is still risky. It's, um, you know, maybe slightly safer if you're good at evaluating than, um, you know, than going into the draft just because you have some NFL tape on these guys. So, you know, a little bit more about them and, and who they are as a player. Um, however, they're not nearly as safe as you think. So you, you want to, you know, typically try to avoid them. But for the 49ers and, and their kind of unique situation is. They have a shit ton of cap space and they have almost no one on the roster currently that they need to worry about extending anytime soon. So they're not going to be giving money to guys currently on the roster at any point in the next like two, three years. Basically, between now and 2020, Jimmy Ward is the only player that I think there's a reasonable chance if things go well in this new scheme and his, you know, uh, switch to, to free safety like it's going right now. Um, that maybe you look at extending him in, and that would be 2019. Um, so until 2020, we have basically three years here where we're not going to have to worry about handing you out money just, to our own guys. You can try shit out is basically yeah. what it comes down to. So you, as can, you can say, yeah, crazy. we're going to front load stuff. Yep. As long as you throw that money up front and, and put it in these next couple of years, like it doesn't really matter. It doesn't even matter if they have a bad signing like Garcon could be terrible like he could fall off his cliff next year and not do anything for the 49ers and this deal isn't going to affect them long term and and while we don't think that will happen with garcon if it does happen nbd and and so you move on to the next signing and and that's going to be another wide receiver and that's marquise goodwin and his deal is reportedly up to it is worth up to eight million over two years so what's interesting is I think of the Marquise Goodwin and the Jeremy Curley signing. Jeremy Curley got, you know, 10 and a half mil over three years. And you look at Marquise Goodwin, who's got eight million over two years. And, and 
you look at what Marquise Goodwin brings, and he's another Texas Longhorn, and he is a speedster. The guy basically runs in a straight line. He was a track star at Texas. He tried out for the Olympics when he was at Texas. He is an Olympic-level speedster. And basically, you're paying this dude to run straight. And so when you think of the complexion of the wide receiver core, you think of someone like you know Jeremy Curley or Bruce Ellington. You think of Pierre Garçon, who's going to hit that intermediate route and going to be more of your possession receiver. And then you've got Marquise Goodwin, who can take the top off. And he's only going to cost you $8 million over two years, whereas Torrey Smith, which would have filled that role of taking the top off defenses, would have cost you, you know, over $9 million this year alone. So they're, they're still keeping the pieces they need to, and they're reforming the wide receiving core with complementary pieces, but they're doing it with an influx of different talent at the same, if not cheaper, prices. Yeah, and I, I think it's, um, while certainly e- easy to make the comparison to Torrey Smith in terms of, like, the type of role and, and kind of broad level of, of he's not as good as Torrey Smith overall not like need to be very clear he is not nearly as skilled as Torrey Smith is no absolutely Um, not but I do think that they fill the same role for an offense for sure well kind of like Torrey Smith can do more things in terms of yes providing like the deep threat and being able to help kind of lift coverage so that your guys can work underneath absolutely he can provide that um, he basically is going to run a very, very limited number of routes. It's basically going to be vertical routes where he uses his speed or very quick routes that play off his speed because defenders are essentially playing so far off because they're worried about getting beat deep that he can run your like short hitch routes, your comebacks every once in a while, you know, some quick out routes against these big cushions and, and kind of make some catches in the quick game. That's basically all you're getting is the potential for a big play, which hasn't even been. I mean, he caught two passes this year over 20 yards um, that that traveled over 20 yards in the air. So it's not something that's necessarily going to happen all the time. And and look, I haven't watched all those those targets. I watched a decent chunk of them today, but uh, I I don't know necessarily how much of that was due to Tyrod Taylor and inaccuracy like down the field or anything like that. But he caught two passes that went over 20 yards in the air this year. So you know, it's it, I, I would temper expectations here. Yes, he's he's very fast and, and there's some potential for big play there. Um, and I think that the the most exciting thing is that we've seen Kyle Shanahan take guys that are very fast and, and he kind of at least knows how to use them. And so I think there can be some opportunity there for him to maybe be a little bit better of a fit here and or at least use better um, here in San Francisco than he was, you know, in Buffalo. But I would very much like keep expectations low when it comes to him. The one thing I find interesting over the last couple of days is I read a Matt Harmon does an article called the the reception perception. And he talked about Mike Williams, which we again, we just detailed drunkily. (laughs) No idea what we said about Mike Williams. But one of the things that Matt Harmon says about Mike Williams is that he does only run a couple of routes remarkably well. And at least that's what he did at Clemson. And he talked about how it's in the NFL nowadays. It's almost a. Not a, maybe a misconception or a misnomer that a wide receiver should be able to run all routes really well. That even if they have a limited route tree, that as long as you know how to run those routes well and you can exploit them, then you can get a pretty productive receiver out of out of those things. Basically, the idea that you take what that receiver can do well, put them in positions to succeed, build a couple things around them, and off you go. And he had a really interesting graph of Calvin Johnson's routes. And the the frequency with which he ran certain routes and the frequency with which he he ran against coverage. And, of course, Calvin Johnson's considered one of the best wide receivers of the last era. And yet he still didn't have a fully distributed route tree that he was able to run coverage successfully against. So I think the the idea here and, and the thing that I would cling to is that you don't need necessarily wide receivers to run every route really, really well. You need complementary pieces that can do a couple of things really well. And as long as you have someone on offense that can put all of that together, then you're going to get really good value out of the pieces that you have. For sure. I I think how things fit together obviously matters. I mean, this was something that we talked about uh, quite a bit, you know, a couple of years ago when the 49ers had Crabtree and Bolden and Stevie Johnson. And and they were basically the the same same, wide receiver. They were the same guy, essentially, like they did the same sort of things well. They did. The, they ran the same sort of routes well, and that allowed defenses to play them a very specific way that kind of constrained the space that you had. And so 
you need pieces that fit together well and, and that offer different skills. And I, I do definitely agree with Matt's point of you don't have to run the like running the full route tree is overrated and there aren't a ton of receivers that do it. Um, I do think there's a difference in which portion of the route tree that you run well, right? Like the thing with Mike Williams is he runs a few routes well that can be completed a very high percentage of the time. He runs this. He's maybe the best receiver in this class. Um, and he's like very easily can see that he's going to run the slant route well at the NFL level. That's a pass that you can complete at a very high level. Marquise Goodwin wins routes that are low percentage already. So even if you have somebody that's good at it, right, running a vertical route, those are lower percentage throws in general. Same thing with throws, uh, you know, outside the numbers, like comeback routes. Those are difficult throws for quarterbacks to make. Your completion percentages are lower out there. So that's my only point is that, like, yes, he does, you know, kind of this one thing well, and there are a couple of secondary things that can kind of play off that because he's got that speed that can make things a little bit easier for him on some routes. Um, but I just don't think like some people were like, Oh, freaking out about the signing thing and that it was going to be a big deal. And it's just like, he's still not a very skilled player. Like, can he have some value? Yes. But I would just, again, temper expectations with him. He's a role player at this point and he's a role that can help, but it's still a role. Mm-hmm. So let's go then to the next signing, which is is maybe a role player, maybe a different kind of player, but it's a player that we're probably going to screw up the pronunciation of his name a whole hell of a lot, uh, and that's fullback Kyle Juszczyk. So we've nailed yo-yoed it. the full... Nailed yeah, nailed it. it. Absolutely. I just, you know, I put the, the, the three fingers up like Steph Curry and just be yeah. like, walk away before I even said it. Just Don't even need Juszczyk. to see it going. Nope. Uh, so apparently we can call him Juice, uh, and that's... Awesome, because that's a great nickname, A. Uh, B, that nickname reminds me of the mid-90s movie with Tupac Shakur, uh, also by the same name of Juice, which if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. I feel like it's, you know, you watch uh, Boys in the Hood, and then you watch Juice, and then maybe with like a a little New Jack City sprinkled in there, and you've got a a pretty good trilogy of movies. Um, But, okay, so Kyle Juszczyk, before we get to the, the signing... What sticks out to you about the way that Kyle Juszczyk plays? Um, I mean, the first thing that sticks out is him, because when you're watching film, it's very easy to find him because he's like the only white dude that's out there. So that's like a positive, I guess, if you're like spending a lot of time watching film and trying to find uh, him there in like, you know, a third of the plays, a third of the snaps are there. So that's one thing. David Newman, ladies and gentlemen, always looking at the white side. Hey, I'm I'm not wrong. Okay, like... (laughs) He's it's no, easier. No, to find you're him. not wrong. All right. You're not wrong. I don't make, Sometimes I don't make the rules. Okay. That's just how it works. Um, I've, I've never liked, I've never liked the, the kind of the pink breast cancer thing. Not that I like, you know, love breast cancer or hate, you know, cancer awareness or anything, but I just don't I love breast cancer. I, Thanks for clarifying. That just part. making sure that's out there on the record. But I, I do like it when certain players wear pink cleats because it makes it so easy to figure out whether they're on the field and where they're at. Uh, and so basically what we're saying is that use check is the pink cleats of uh, of the 49 all the time outside. He doesn't even need it to be October like it's great. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I think uh, a, a couple things with him in terms of what he actually brings to the team. Um, he's super versatile. I mean, this is so I, I it's a it's the numbers are a little jarring. Right. And and we're going to see that because the, the caps going up like crazy. Teams have more cap space than they've ever had. Um, some of these contracts are going to kind of seem absurd. And, and when you look at four years, 21 million is what we're seeing reported as right now. We don't know uh, any details. We don't know how much of that's guaranteed or any of those things that that are very important in determining, you know, what that deal really looks like. Um, but that's for a fullback. So if you could, if you're looking at him purely as a fullback, uh, it's jarring. I mean, there were only so before today, before things really started kicking off with free agency, there were three fullbacks that were scheduled to have a cap hit of over one million. So we're not even talking about multiple millions here over a single million cap hit three guys. So this is quite a bit more than that. Um, if you look at I'm, <clears throat> I'm looking at over the cap right now and I'm looking at the total value of fullback contracts and you've got Anthony Sherman with the Chiefs. His total value is 6.3 mil. You look at uh, Jamie, oh God, Olawale with the Raiders, 6 million. And then you've got a precipitous drop-off. You've got Zach Line, 
who's got a total contract value of 1.6 million. Uh, and actually, I'm not even sure if this is sorted. Oh, no, it's not sorted. You've got uh, Anthony Sherman, Jamie Olawale, Mike Tolbert at 3.3 million, who's and Jalston Fowler. Yeah, and Jalston Fowler at 2.8 mil. And basically, you've got most fullbacks hanging out around two and a half, three and a half million, and then Olawale and Sherman up at 6.3 million, which is an average per year of about 2.1. And that's about it. And we're literally dropping $21 million over four years. Yeah. So, I mean, your average per year there, right? A little over five. Um, and again, probably not really worth that much. Like once we get some guarantee figures in there, that, that'll certainly change the way that we look at that deal. But for now, I mean, it's there's there's no question that for his position, he's going to become the highest paid guy and, and buy like a pretty solid amount. But the thing that uh, that you have to look at with him really is that he does bring more to the table than a typical fullback does with this game. Like he's very versatile. He He can kind of affect all phases. So He's not really it would be surprising to see him do much as a runner outside of just like short yard situations. Right. You get him uh, it down at the goal line or, you know, third, fourth and one out in the middle of the field and you give a little fullback dive action like, yeah, that's about the extent of what he's bringing to the table from a, a rushing perspective. But he well, last year, he only ran the ball on one point one percent of his snaps. So, yeah, yeah he's does, not running. Doesn't happen very often. Um, but he's somebody that can be a very good receiver out of the backfield. Uh, he's an excellent pass protector. He had the highest pass block grade uh, among fullbacks last year by a pretty significant margin for PFF at 92.1. So he's he's excellent in that phase. He was actually, he, I mean, he was basically the Ravens' third down back. Like he was the guy when it was third down or when it was obvious passing situations that was there as the one back in shotgun either going out for passes or being, you know, your six man in pass protection there. So uh, he, he's very good in that phase. And then obviously he's going to add some value to, to the run game and he's going to help Carlos hide out and make his life a little bit easier when, and hopefully pick up, you know, some of those, depending on what happens with the offensive line between now and the start of the season, you know, they obviously haven't been very good run blocking and Carlos Hyde's uh, had to take on a lot of that. And a lot of what we get in, in the run game is because of his efforts hopefully adding a fullback back to the mix and, and picking up some of that run through at times and, and, you know, just kind of making the run blocking a little bit better is going to help Carlos hide out a little bit. So he's, yeah, he's, he's a, a very useful player. He can do quite a few things. Um, the thing that uh, I, I've seen a few people mention, like uh, on Twitter at least is, are, is he in line for a sort of Delaney Walker style H back role? Um, I don't think that's crazy actually like he's not quite the same uh he doesn't have the same speed that delaney walker does so i i, I would be a little surprised if you see like I, I mean when when it was walker and davis right they would just terrify guys terrify defenses with their speed because you could line up in, in a run heavy formation but stretch the field vertically with those two i don't know that he adds that element i mean he was like a four seven guy at at 248 so he's he's he can move well but he's just not that sort of same vertical threat but he's, he's like a, three Sigma away from Rich Eisen. <laughs> yeah, something like that, I guess. <laughs> um, but he's I mean, it's not like a terrible athletic comp, actually. So once you get past that pure straight line speed, because Delaney was like, a, I think, like a four, 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 five guy. Um, I think it was like a low, low four, five guy. I think it was like four, five, two or something. Yeah, but they're they're very similar size. Um, they had very similar like uh, explosion numbers. So you look at like the vertical and the broad jump like. Uh, uh, Kyle actually had a higher vertical jump than Delaney did, and they had very similar broad jump numbers. And Kyle had like much better change of direction scores, like like the three cone. Dude ran like a sub seven second three cone, which is really good for somebody his size. So, um, yeah, he's he's a solid athlete. Like he's not a typical fullback. Like he's going to have some value in other phases. He's going to be able to get on the field, you know, more than your typical fullback would. The interwebs tell me that Delaney Walker ran a four four nine forty, which yeah, I looked is, at it earlier and I was like, I thought it was somewhere right in in that range, but that's I mean, it just that's stupid. Uh, that's really good, uh, especially for a tight end. But you, you look at the the distribution of the way that use check was used, and he was in he was in a passing route fifty five percent of the time. He stayed in a run block about twenty two percent of the time. 
and or he ran block and, and then he was in it for a passing block at about 20 percent of the time. That's you know, that seems like an H back or, you know, kind of pass catcher distribution. So it, it doesn't seem far fetched to think of him in that H back role. And Patrick DeMarco last year played on 31 percent of snaps for Atlanta. So if you think of Kyle Shanahan thinking of collecting a chess piece and collecting a chess piece that is, you know, that, that is basically your maybe a second tight end that can be both a fullback or a second tight end, he immediately gives you some formational versatility in a way that you you don't currently have that I can imagine Kyle Shanahan salivating over because much like the Jim Harbaugh era 49ers were able to do, they were able to line up in a formation that looked like it was going to do one thing and then do something completely different. Yeah, he's going to be a, a very useful piece. Like you said, Kyle's going to know how to use him. He's going to be able to get him involved in in a, a few different ways. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have a player, you know, like that. Like he's just, he's just fun to watch. Like, uh, there was, there was a play where I was watching like anchor uh, as like an inline tight end at the goal line against Cleo Mack in the run game, like, uh, and, and kind of hold him off for like the better part of two, three seconds while that run play went out. So yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's a talented guy. He's a, he's a better athlete than I think, uh, you would typically expect for that type of position. And he's going to be a fun player to watch for sure. So there was one play that you tweeted out that I remember, which was uh, use check blowing a a linebacker off the line and and knocked him about seven yards off. And that linebacker was Malcolm Smith of the Raiders, actually now of the 49ers, because this is the other player, the final piece. Well, the second to final piece of the puzzle that we're talking about here in free agency. The 49ers are indeed expected to sign Super Bowl winner and Super Bowl MVP. Malcolm Smith, Uh, in case you forgot, he is the guy that caught the pass that Richard Sherman tipped at the end of the NFC Championship game in 2013. So, I mean, Malcolm Smith, what do you got for me? I mean, so my actual note here is this is dumb, but whatever. Like, that's kind of how I feel about it. Like, he's not good. Um, I, I think that's pretty clear when you look at what he's done over the last three seasons. Um, he was basically somebody that had one really good year, uh, surrounded by, you know, one of the greatest defenses of all time, uh, in 2013 with the Seahawks there. So, uh, pretty much since in his final year with Seattle and then since he's left in, in his couple years with Oakland, uh, he has been a very bad player. Like he's doesn't really offer a whole lot. I think, I mean, basically I, I think the things that you, that you point to their positives are one, obviously he's familiar with the scheme. Having spent that time in Seattle, um, he's going to be able to come in. He's likely, uh, going to compete for the starting will position that weak side linebacker. Um, he's a pretty good athlete. So he, you know, was somebody out of USC that, uh, it was, is one of the more like athletic linebackers, kind of lighter, lighter weight. Only he's only two twenty six of the combine. Um, so, Knows the scheme, pretty solid athlete. I think those are the positives and the negatives are most everything else. Like this is somebody that I, ideally you would want as a backup. I think, um, you know, people mentioned like, oh, we had, you know, Mike Wilhoyt and Nick Ballor last year and he's got to be better than them. And my answer is, well, like maybe, but not by much. And like clearing that bar isn't a good thing. Like just because you can Mike, barely Mike get Lim- that, like doesn't make you a good player. Mike Lombardi and Robert Mays have been talking a lot about free agency and what it can do to a team on the Ringer podcast. And one of the things they brought up that I thought was really interesting was this idea that you can bring in free agents that are highly paid free agents that kind of inadvertently destroy your locker room because they come in and they're super highly paid, but they're not very good. And Malcolm Smith, based on everything I've read about him, doesn't seem like that guy. He seems like a guy who's going to come in and be a good locker room guy. And so even if you pay, you know, like just under a mil or maybe more than a mil or maybe even two million over the course of, you know, two or three years or whatever as an average salary, he's someone who knows the system, who knows what a winning football team looks and feels like and who can really, if he ends up being a backup, be, you know, a decent enough backup and a special teams player, um, but someone you just don't want starting. This seems to me like a, a little bit like what you know Jacob Tammy would have been um or not I think Jacob Tammy but uh but one of the tight ends that used to be in Houston um with with Kyle Shanahan that just kind of knows the system declining football player or not a very good football player but just a good individual that you want in your locker room to help 
anyone else who's a bit more talented. Um, obviously, the the numbers for him have yet to come out. So if it turns out he got like you know ten million guaranteed and you know it's a twenty million dollar deal or whatever, then everything I just said goes out the window. But this is the kind of signing I get the feeling this is. Yeah, and I think the the thing to keep in mind too is yeah, while we don't know what the numbers are going to look like just yet, would be very surprised if there's any sort of significant money here. And two, it just doesn't really like they're not going to make all they're not going to uh, answer all the questions on this roster in one offseason, right? They're not going to fix all the problems. You're, you're going to have a lot of roster turnover. One, you're going to have a lot of guys that come in and are basically stopgap players. And and he really kind of fits that again. He he comes in, he knows the defense. He's not very good, but it doesn't really matter because they're not going to commit to him long term and they can replace him later. You can't make, you know, all the moves. You can't fill up all of the holes in one offseason when you're in, in the position that they're in right now with this roster. So then final signing so far that we know of, because we haven't stayed up super late, is going to be the coup de gras, in my opinion, one of the obvious signings, but I think one of the better signings. And that's going to be signing Brian Hoyer to a two-year deal. It's not the bridge quarterback you wanted, but God damn it, it's the bridge quarterback we need. This is a quarterback <laughs> that, I mean, so some contract details for Brian Hoyer have just started to emerge. And, and you think of some rookies, right? You think of Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Carson Wentz. They all make between six and seven mil a year, and they're on rookie contracts. You look at some of the higher-paid backup quarterbacks. They make seven mil a year. Chase Daniel in Philly, uh, and RG three got seven and a half million a year, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick got twelve million because Harvard. So Hoyer is making six million base each year, um, and he's got ten mil guaranteed. So there's some kind of reasonable attainable incentives in there that could bump it up to nine mil a year based on Jason Lockenfora's report, but. By and large, you're looking at 10 mil guaranteed, 6 million base. So you're looking at a high-end backup. You're looking in, in the realm of a Chase Daniel, maybe, you know, Robert Griffin, but not quite Ryan Fitzpatrick and rookie starter deals. And for a two-year deal for a backup for someone who knows Cal Shanahan's system, for someone who has succeeded at least like between September and October in Cal Shanahan's system, this is a, a damn good signing for a team that doesn't have a quarterback on the roster. I mean, for me, this is the perfect quarterback signing for what I am hoping to get out of 2017, which is not necessarily a, a team that's a whole lot better, a team that looks a lot different. I want to see quite as many different players as possible. But I, I think this is really an offseason where they don't have to address their quarterback position long-term right now. Like this is something people, too many people are saying that we either need to essentially trade for Kirk cousins and that needs to happen, or they need to take somebody with the number two pick. And neither of those things needs to happen. Like it's okay to have a guy that's just a Brian Hoyer type, which is a competent NFL quarterback, like probably a little below average. But again, you have the benefit that he comes in. He knows the system. Um, him and Kyle have a very good working relationship by all accounts. Uh, he's going to be able to help teach, uh, you know, young guys that they bring in the system and, and kind of help them with the offense and, and help the coaching staff out in that regard. So there are, are some positives to having a guy like him around and he hasn't been all that terrible necessarily. Like he, he's had some, no, moments. he's actually been pretty um, decent. I mean, you look at 2016 and he was 19th in DR Again, that's defensive adjusted yards above replacement, which is football outsiders measure for how good a quarterback or how good a player is really over the whole season. So he was the 19th most valuable quarterback over the year. And on a per play efficiency basis, he was seventh before he broke his arm for a free agent quarterback for two years. That's getting backup money. He's better than our starters were last year. I I mean, I, I think, uh, Colin Kaepernick is a very similar quality quarterback at this point. Um, Colin Kaepernick was going to get fourteen and a half million dollars. Sure, but again, that doesn't matter really this year. Like they they have almost a hundred million dollars. What matters from a cap perspective isn't what they spend this year; it's what they account for long term, right? As long as they avoid signing stupid deals that that put them on the hook for guaranteed money years down the road when they're going to need to start extending the hopefully core of players that they, they acquire over the next couple of years here, 
Like that's when that th- that sort of thing starts to matter. One year for your quarterback right now, when you have almost a hundred million dollars in cap space, doesn't matter whatsoever. Like, uh, so that part I'm not really too concerned about when talking about Brian Hoyer, how much money he's going to make. Um, I, I think from a pure quality standpoint, what they're doing on the field, like he's similar to, to what you're getting from Colin Kaepernick, what you can expect to get from Kaepernick at this point. So he's not good. He's got plenty of flaws. He's not very good under pressure. Um, he's, he's had one of the worst accuracy, uh, percentages and, and lower quarterback ratings in the league each time that he's been kind of a somewhat full-time starter. Um, so not good in the red zone either. Just, and even last year in Chicago, he was not good in the red zone. <clears throat> and, and his, the interesting thing about Brian Hoyer is the split between September and October and November plus. So when you look at the way that Brian Hoyer's career has, has kind of panned out, you look at his games in September and October, he's got a completion percentage of over 61%. His average per completion is 7.3 yards. He's got a touchdown percentage on 4.3% of his throws and, and his quarterback rating is 93.1. All of a sudden, you look at November, December, January, and he's got one playoff game under his belt. His completion percentage dips to 56.8%. He averages seven yards uh, per throw, and his NFL rating dump, jump, just completely plummets to 70.2 compared to 93, which puts you at you know kind of above serviceable quarterback play down to just not very good play at all. And his TD percentage goes down to 2.6. His interception rate goes from 1.1% in September and October to 4%, over 4% in November plus. So, I mean, it's basically a guy who starts well and fades real hard once you get into November. So I'm expecting kind of like how we expected the, the third quarter collapse for the 49ers this year with, you know, with Chip Kelly. I'm expecting a November drop off with Brian Hoyer if he is indeed the starter. Yeah, I mean, I don't put a ton of stock into splits like that necessarily. Um, Maybe I'm hoping for the November tank because that means that we still get the uh, the higher draft pick. Yeah, I, I think that uh, whenever it, it happens, like, and, and this is again why I think that it, it, either him or a player like him was the best sort of scenario for the 49ers in 2017 from a quarterback perspective is because he's okay enough, like he's a competent NFL quarterback, but he's not good enough that he's going to come in and make them, you know, two, three, four games better um, just by having him there, like being able to elevate the players around him um, and kind of put them at, at a disadvantage next year. Like, I, I think this is a team that could really benefit from having a couple of years and a couple of drafts to pick really high and, and get, you know, have a chance to hit on some, some better players, right? Accumulate some draft picks, start building the core of what's going to be your next good team, because it's not going to happen in free agency. Like you're not getting, you're getting supplementary parts. Hopefully if you're doing it right in free agency, that the core of your team, the guys that are going to be your, your blue chippers, right? Your future Patrick Willis's and Justin Smith's and, Frank Gore's and Vernon Davis's and all that, you're going to get those players in the draft, hopefully, if, you, if you're doing this thing, right? So um, that though, that's what you're looking for over the next couple of years, and I don't think Brian Hoyer is going to preclude that. So I think that, uh, you know, he's going to come in. They're going to be competent this year. It's going to be fine. Maybe they win another game just because, you know, they're, they're making some other changes and stuff, but they're, they're still going to be a mostly not very good football team. And then I think next year is a year that makes a lot more sense to start looking at addressing the quarterback position long term, whether that's because Kirk Cousins has become available and he's available in the open market. And we don't have to give up anything uh, other than a probably a pretty large contract to get him. Um, Or, you know, you look at what's expected to be a much better quarterback class in 2018 in the draft and you find your guy there. So humor me for a second. If you were to explain the precipitous drop between kind of September, October and the rest of the year, what would explain that drop for Brian Hoyer? Randomness explains that drop over the course of his career. Yes. Like if it were one year, look at those, look at the attempts. It's a thousand attempts. So his, his attempts over his career, just because he's been in there for a long time, it's a thousand attempts. That's a little more than a season and a half. Like, it doesn't you're mean not anything. Hu- you're not you're not humoring me. I said humor me. I can't humor you with that. But like I just like I, it's I'm not capable of doing it. Like 
people try to ascribe meaning to like weird trends like this and and think of like a reason like oh it has to be because of this one thing that's causing this drop off and it like no it doesn't have to be one thing like it can just be random i need drunk david go put on your green under armor shirt pound like five (laughs) beers over the course of five hours and talk to me about how brian hoyer makes you throw up um but i i think you know, really, in terms of stuff that I'm looking at Twitter right now to see to make sure that nothing has come up since we uh, came on air. But that's uh, that's about it. I think that's most of what we've done so far. Um, I think overall, because free agency really comes down to that initial sprint and then it kind of dies off. There's maybe a second wave and and then nothing. And that all happens in about four or five days. So if this were all of the 49ers initial sprint. What what were what are your impressions of the signings that we've made so far um, for the 49ers? I think as a whole, like I love the approach so far. I, I, again, they were going to need to sign players. And, and even um, if long term, what they want to do is be a build for the draft supplement free agency team, like they were going to have to get bodies this time. They only had 57 guys under contract entering free agency like this was going to be uh, a, a very busy offseason. But I think they have managed to do it they've avoided guys at least so far that are at the very top of the market right they're they're avoiding um players that are going to be just paid like a ridiculous amount of money they're avoiding contracts that are going to you know put them owing guaranteed money to guys you know three four five years down the line um and and that's really i think the the big thing that matters uh with this offseason is not getting too crazy um, you know, getting that roster turnover going. And, and again, this we've talked about several times at this point, like you need they, they needed to to kind of clean house a bit and get rid of some guys um, and, and bring in some new blood a little bit, bring in their new guys um, that, that they believe are going to fit what they want to do. And um, I think so far they've hit on all that. And uh, I would expect them to sign several more players like it wouldn't be unreasonable, I think, with the number of guys that they need to add for them to add, like in the neighborhood of, I don't know, 10, 12 15 maybe on a high-end free agents um and they're not all going to be players like we had today that are um you know a little bit more well-known guys they're gonna have to just get bodies essentially at some point um but yeah i think this sort of approach like everything that we're hearing everything that happened with Kirk cousins today i don't know if there's anything there that you want to uh hit on that we didn't touch on when we had the Kirk cousins conversation last time um but everything with that like is getting just got better news as the day went on essentially. And so, um, the thing I think that scared me going into it, right. Was that we didn't have a track record for these guys. We didn't know what sort of approach they were going to have. We didn't know how they were going to, to go about building this roster. And like with each signing, with each piece, we get a little bit better of an idea. And, and I, uh, so far like what, what we see, right. I think that they're going about this the right way. Um, they're not spending for the sake of spending, um, and they, they, they have, they, they seem to realize that this is going to take a few years. We're not going to mortgage the future to make this a better team only in 2017. I think the impression I'm left with after day one and a half or two days of, of this free agency kind of haul is that this is a, this is a shrewd staff that we've put together. And I use that, that word, I think in, in the truest sense in that they are going to be very circumspect about the contracts they give out, the people they sign, and they know kind of what they want and what they want to do. You're, you're adhering to some of your base philosophical tenets, which is that you want athleticism and speed. I think you look at some of the under the the kind of radar signings, whether it be, God, I forget his name already. One of the D's Deandre did, did, God, I, I feel like I I'm already a, forgot to. I'm gonna look it up while you keep going. Yeah, I'm. I feel like I'm reading the like the LSU roster or something. The like Sacramento Doug State Tate. guy. I mean, I have like he's there in my mind. DeAndre Carter. There you go, DeAndre Carter. I feel like you know you want speed in DeAndre Carter. In DeAndre Carter, you got speed in Marquise Goodwin. I think you know the kind of wide receiver that you want to hit the intermediate area in Pierre Garcon. I think you're looking at the philosophy of building a team, and they're going about their philosophy in a way that still isn't breaking the bank, that still isn't making rash decisions, that's still not doing things that are irrecoverable types of contracts or mistakes. And I think that's good. I think obviously Kirk Cousins is a a big domino here, but I think the 49ers have more leverage than people think 
especially after signing Brian Hoyer, just simply because of the way Washington has played this. I think if if I'm John Lynch and I'm Kyle Shanahan, I can take a look and say, you know, no, we don't we don't need him right now. We can go ahead and wait. And, and of course, there's the report that that uh, Snyder is blocking the Cousins <laughs> to to San Francisco trades so just simply because so he's great. petty and he doesn't want Kyle Shanahan to to have him because, you know, he's angry that someone pissed in his Cheerios or whatever. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. And and the fact that there's like in an, an, like no real GM right now because Scott McLuhan is AWOL is, is also another thing to throw into the fire. It's a very weird situation all around. But I think long story short, you can see a clear philosophy to team building that is here, which is good. You have a, a I'm confident in the fact that the staff can use the players that they've acquired and that they know what they're doing when they're going after these people. Uh, and again, we're not mortgaging the future. So I think it's it's a great first step. It's a great approach. We have upgraded several positions. I think Jeff Dini tweeted this out. But if you think of just the 11 personnel package, let's say Ellington doesn't pan out and he like tears a hamstring or whatever. You've got Curly, Goodwin, dude. I'm just saying, you like you can't you can't see David's face, but I can see him, and I'm just saying it could happen. Um, you've got Curly, Goodwin, and Garcon as your one, two, and three wide receiver. You and you've got you know use check who's basically playing fourth wide receiver because that's how much he's getting paid. And I mean that's that's a much better just skill position set than what we've had you know possibly the last two years yeah I mean, and, and, it's, it's and it's a fun. good place to be it's a good place to be it's uh and again i think the the nice thing um because i'm still again not ex- they're not going to be good this year like I, I think that's i already saw like started to see some people on twitter man getting like oh man the rams are getting worse the cardinals are getting worse the seahawks are overrated like this could be fun uh, I'm talking to you, Ev. Like I saw that tweet is bullshit. Um, <laughs> and it, it's, it's just like, you need to slow down. Um, and he's not the only one. I'm just picking on him cause I like him. Um, but it's, it, it's like, you got to slow down a little bit. This is not going to be a Harbaugh situation where they come in and like this team goes 13 and three, like roster's not in the same spot. This roster is really bad. It's getting it got a little bit better today, which is awesome. Um, and it's it's going to be nice to watch a different offense than the same sort of mostly terrible players that we've been watching for a couple of years. Um, and and yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Like I'm excited for like the the again, the clean slate is the reason to be excited right now. Um, and so far, this new regime is showing, I think, positive things. And, and uh, again, each move gives us another reason to either a trust them if it continues to be, you know, they continue to do what they've done so far. Um, but it gives us that baseline to build, right? Like to, to know what to expect from these guys going forward. And I think again, all of those signs are positive right now. All right. Well, I think that about does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast. And I mean, I really, you know, we always get to the call to action here at the end of the show. And, and I really think that there is no question that it's about to throw up. I mean, to um, be fair, we did do like people were going because I, I guess you mentioned at the end of the video call to action about to throw up. And so people were already tweeting hashtag about to throw up. Um, yeah. We can double and dip. I mean, it, it was worthy, I think. Um, oh, God. What was the other one? Uh, oh, the use check. The thing on Garcon's the Sadia. Oh, Sadia. Yeah. Not to be confused with uh, Cedula. Well, Cedula, which is like an ID card or some bullshit. Um, whatever you say but hashtag spanish so yeah definitely hit us up with your favorite call to action if you want to get at us with a sedia if you know how to type a sedia you can just actually do call to action the c with a sedia because that would be (laughs) awesome in and of itself um but yeah it was uh definitely it's been fun so far um and, and i'm excited to see what the next kind of mini wave brings because we need some players we need some players no, nope, it definitely isn't over. I almost fell asleep on day one, but you know, stay yeah. awake. I I want to hear I want to hear lots of yous in the stands when Yuzcheck does anything uh, at when Levi's he's on Stadium. The when he's on the field, yeah. and and apparently, according to David, who's looking at the white side, he's easy to find. So 
you know, it's, it's going to be everybody wins. Everybody wins. <laughs> so make sure to follow David on the Twitters. David, where can they follow you? Uh, it's going to be at Newman NFL. Indeedly doodly. And you can always follow me at Better Rivals. And that about does it for another week. We'll be back. Uh, this is South by Southwest week in Austin, which, David, you are now lucky to escape. But I yep. do think we're still planning on doing an episode next week. So we'll be back next week to kind of wrap up all that is free agency as well as do uh, some look forwards to whatever the hell is coming up next because there is no off season here. Um, or actually, no, I lied. We're going to be here on Tuesday uh, because I'm going to go see the Ava Brothers on Wednesday for South by Southwest because yeah. they're my favorite band and it's awesome. Uh, so again, thanks for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.